Good morning. My name is Tim Stevenson, and um, now my wife and I have been on vacation, and here's the deal about vacation. Love vacation should take vacation. It should not be on your tombstone. He didn't use all his vacation. I mean, it's there for a reason. And the nice thing about getting away, and we do get away, uh, we sat on a beach for three weeks. I wrote 14 poem songs. I smoked some a few cigars, and uh, just got away and enjoyed, read books, and just enjoyed time with my bride, and relaxed because I knew you guys were in good hands. I don't worry about when I go, like, what's happening, what's happening? I got to watch online, and it was just a great time. You guys had some great speakers, and uh, it just makes it that much easier to get away and enjoy and refresh, and I can honestly say... My batteries were charged up, so you better buckle up right now because, um, and welcome those online. Let's welcome Lodi. Um, now, this might be a short clap, not for Lodi purposes, uh, because if you're watching online, I know we got people in Texas, people in Oregon. Someone's driving from Oregon to California, said we're watching. We got people at Dillon Beach watching. If it goes blank, come back later and watch uh, when we repost because... There may be some things I say today that could get us cut off. So I'm just saying, um, see, some of you are going, see, you should never come back from vacation. He just gets all geared up. And because the series that I'd planned coming back was a series called Going Deep. And, um, but my intention was not to go through Second Peter. I had written some stuff that I wanted to, to go through with, possible three-week series. I, I, mean, I can't even tell you how long this series is going to be. I mean, I had planned up till last night to go at least four verses into Peter, but we're only getting two. So it's going to take a while. Luckily, it's only three chapters. But I think going through Second Peter right now, in the times we live in, and what Peter is writing about at that point in time, I think this is an apropos book to walk through right now. And as we start this series, it's talking about going deep. And Second Peter is Peter's last book. He, he's going to die right after writing this book. And we know that because he's sitting in Rome. Uh, he's under arrest. Emperor Nero is in charge. As he looks out the window, he can see lit fires in the gardens because Christians are being set ablaze during this time. Entire Christian families have been sent to the circus to be fed to wild animals. Um, the church is being uh, infiltrated by false teachers and false teaching and moral decay. And this was in an early church. And as Peter writes, he knows his time is up. And we notice that right at the get-go in 2 Peter, verse 13, it says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made that clear to me. So I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. I mean, can you imagine Jesus showing up and saying, by the way, you've got this much time left. That's what happened to Peter. Now, it's not the first time Jesus has told Peter that he's going to die. I mean, technically, we're all going to die, right? But Peter was told specifically, 
The scene is after the resurrection. The disciples are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They haven't caught anything. There's a figure up on the beach, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? No, cast your nets here. And all of a sudden, they catch fish, and Peter realizes it's Jesus and dives out of the boat, swims to shore. And he and Peter have a conversation as they're walking along the beach. In verse 18 of John 21, it says this, Jesus said, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. And then he said, follow me. Peter knew a time was coming, just didn't know when. And now as he's sitting in Rome, he's been told by Jesus it's soon. Matter of fact, it's within a year of this writing that he is brought out by Nero. We know where he was crucified. He was crucified there in Rome. We know that, and really, honestly, that you know, St. Peter's Basilica, the square there, that's where Peter was crucified. And he was crucified, not how Jesus was crucified, because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord, so he was crucified upside down. If you thought crucifixion was bad, flip yourself over. Maybe he says, I'll die quicker this way. But he just didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. And so Peter did give him his life for this church, and he knew this was coming. And so as he looked out the window and just saw the church, I've got to write something down. I've got to write something that's going to be a message to the church, because the church, the theme of 2 Peter is this, how to battle false doctrine and moral compromise in the last days. And guys, if there's anything today that when I look out the window... Not that Jesus has told me I'm going to die anytime soon. I mean, that's up to him. Of what do I see the state of the church in today? I mean, I wrote down a lot of things, and this could get me in trouble, but um, even on staff on Tuesday, I asked the staff, all right, staff, where is the devil attacking today? I mean, where's the devil really attacking the church? Oh, he's going to attack me. I mean, that's a given. He's going to attack me. He's going to attack you. He, I mean, he's making plans now. And I pretty much can tell you where he's going to attack me. I can tell you where he's not going to attack me. I mean, he's not going to attack me with, maybe we should try some cocaine on Tim. It's not going to work. It's not it. You know, maybe we should have him addicted to marathon running. Not going to happen. All right. I mean, there are several things that the devil has no chance but the other places, it's the same place he went yesterday the day before. It's, it's where we're weak, right? That's where he attacks. I mean, he's a smart general. He's not going to attack a stronghold. He's going to attack where the defenses aren't so great. And that's true in your personal life. And that's true in the life of the church. When am I going to look at the church? And um, a story this week out of Nigeria where 140 kids and staff from a Christian school were kidnapped by Muslim extremists, held for ransom. And the pictures of the mothers outside the school weeping and begging God for their children to be brought back. And I, I, guys, I try to put myself, I can't even fathom that. I mean, you got our, our church work there in India. And, you know, I, I, we pray for Philip and Naomi and just the onslaught that they have from Hinduism because even the prime minister now wants to change the name of India to Hindustan. 
I mean, th- there's this part where the pressure on Christian organizations in, in India, who are the only ones doing anything good there, because Hinduism, by its very nature, they don't help people. Because if you're in poor, you're there for a reason because of your faith, your religion, Hinduism, is that you're there because you're a bad person in your last life, so you've got to be the best bad person. And if I come along and help you, then that's not really helping you be the best bad person you were, a poor person you, you are. So I have to leave you in that state so you can go through it so you can get higher up next time you come around. The Christians are the only ones helping people in India and it's being shut down organization after organization after organization. Uh, uh, We're not like the church in Lebanon where I visited, where, I mean, you've got six factions of government and armies, and it's just, it's a, I have a word for it, I can't say it here, of what kind of life that the church is living under with Syrian refugees coming in and the brunt of that and how the church is reaching out to these Muslims who have left everything to flee Syria just with the clothes on their back or what they could carry. Or a church in Nicaragua that is facing a communist government and Nicaragua being the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, and what they have to go through and our pastors there, we got two churches now there because the church work planted another church and in, uh, in Messiah, the next town over. And so we have two pastors on the ground doing the, the life there. But the strain that they are under with a government that you know, oppresses any Christian reference. Church in America is not facing so much that. I mean, now we're facing censorship, where this very may, may well be as I get farther into this. I mean, you have Facebook already admitting and YouTube admitting that they're controlling information or what they will call misinformation. And I said this last week, even your texts, guys, if you don't think you're being watched, guys, you need to get a wake-up call here, all right? Because you think, oh, this is all private stuff. Now, guys, the day is coming. It's already upon us when they're calling. Well, if there's misinformation, whether it's about COVID, whether it's about this, we're taking it down. Is how far will it be when you talk to invite someone to church? It doesn't fit the narrative. You'll be taken down. This is the world we are going into, and I don't I don't anticipate it getting any better. I mean, you've got things, and whether you watch the news and are up on things, you've got the the critical race theory, the CRT, that's in it's invaded our colleges forever, and now it's getting into our grade schools. Get into our high schools and grade schools. People, wow, it's, it's just about you know equal, equal life for everyone. Guys, you, you just haven't read the CRT then yet. You don't understand what the critical race theory is all about. It's not about just race. Race. And what has happened is is that they've taken what we call biblical justice and they've changed the name to social justice. And I'm telling you right now, biblical justice and their social justice are two different things. But that's not only creeped into schools, that's creeped into the church. I guarantee it's creeped into this room. And so the pressure, when you have the the CRT training, which violates biblical worldview, guys. Here's just a couple. People are essentially defined by their race and their class. I just remember not too long ago, I was talking about we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin, but that's all that wants to be judged now. See, we're getting cut off already. 
not only the color of our skin, but our economic, our sexual preference, our gender. I mean, all this is working in, not only into our colleges, but now to our schools and our grade schools. And parents, I'm going to tell you, you need to do your homework on what your teachers are teaching your kids. You need to look at the books that are not, they're not allowed to take home, that they stay in the classroom and what they're saying. You just, it doesn't take long to do a search and find out because this is the part of what they want to do. There is an agenda. The devil has an agenda. And so he is going to attack. Every country will be different. How, the, how he attacks in, in North Korea or China, the church is going to be different than Africa and it's going to be different here. And so now it's, it's going to be aimed at our young people and our children. Whether you saw it this last week, there's the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir who put out a song on their website. And the song is entitled, We'll Convert Your Children. Now, you can go on. I'm not going to show it here. Um, I'm not going to take the time to do that. But this is the L, because I said LGBTQ-whatever agenda. And you're going to tell Tim, you're getting political now. Guys, this is not about politics. This is an agenda that they've had since the 80s. I've been staying this since the 80s. This is their agenda. And if you watch this, trust me, I, I asked someone, hey, have you seen it yet? That was hilarious, the parody of that. Dude, it wasn't a parody. This is, this is true. This is real. Let me just read you a couple of lines from this. And who it's aimed at. The first paragraph of the song you think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we're all lead lives you can't respect, and you're just frightened. You think we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you are correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you all will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco and warn them about San Francisco. Make them wear pleated pants. We don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. And it just goes on like that. And you would think that there'd be alarms being set when you have not just one guy start singing, then two guys start singing, and then a wall of voices singing, we're going to convert your children. You think alarms would be set? If I created that here, holy moly. If I said, we're going to convert your, convert your children to Jesus Christ and put that, I mean, technically that's what we want to do. I have no problem saying that. But no. And it's just talked about and it's, it's man, this is great. Their agenda, it's getting out there. They want us to know. Guys, whether it's that, whether it's whatever, here's the devil's strategy is Right now, it's not going to be outright persecution. It's not going to be what's happening in India. It's not going to be what's happening in Africa or Lebanon. It's, it's going to be indirect. It's going to be subversive. It's going to go, let's just, let's just go this. And they've been doing this for the longest time just to work, 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 work their way in. And now this teaching, this thought process, this agenda, whether it be about race and whether it be about same sex, whether it be about gay rights, whether it be about, you know, the whole racial issue and how many his, hers, theys and all that, that, that get into the picture. It's making it so that we, because we're supposed to be Christians who are loving, right? We're supposed to love people. Walking down in a hallway, there's a, there's a thing on the, on the wall. We hand it out everywhere. We talk about it. We love you where you're at, but we won't leave you there. 
And I am no different. In my life before Christ, I'm just like any other sinner. We are just one, sh- we're this, this far away. It's only because of the grace of God that we exist. But again, when I hear this whole thing, well, we need to love people and God loves us unconditionally. Really? I'm gonna, next series we're doing is gonna be just talking about God's love. Because when we say that God loves us unconditionally, just as I am, I don't need to change. I can live my life the way I want, and he's going to love me. Guys, then what was the purpose of Jesus Christ coming? He loves me. But he's not okay with me just doing whatever I want to do. I mean... He loves me, but he sent his son Jesus Christ to save me from my sin, from myself, from doing it my way so I could do it his way. And what was true then with Peter is true today. There was this storm. There was a storm of this, this, this false teaching and, and false teachers coming into the church and begin it, and it's happening today. It's happening through songs. I'm, I, you know, guys, you need to listen to the Christian music that you think is all cool. And listen, listen to theology behind it. It's subtle. I mean, just look at the last the last thing that Amy Grant just said this week. Holy mackerel! But this is what's in the church. This is what's creeping in. We just need to love and accept everybody where they're at because God accepts us where we're at. He leaves us where we're at. No, he doesn't. Thank God he didn't leave me where I'm at. And thank God he's still working on me. I'm a work in progress. The storm. that Guys, when I look out the window at the church, and I'm seeing it, and I guarantee it, it's here in this room. I guarantee there's some people uncomfortable with what I'm talking about now. Some people at home are uncomfortable with what I'm talking about now. You're just getting all political, Tim. This is not about politics. This is about truth. And Satan, who is a liar, will constantly attack the truth. And he'll give it enough, enough goodness. It's like baiting a hook. I'm just going to give you what looks good, but it's a lie that's going to hook you, and he will reel you in. And I'm telling you guys, that is what's happened in the church across America today. The pandemic, all it did was accelerate what was already taking place. Church was in decline numbers-wise because you were losing a whole generation because, you know, we need to talk about social justice, not biblical justice. We need to talk about social justice and equal rights for everyone. And, and everyone has the same, not opportunity, everyone has the same everything. That's called communism if you want to repackage that that way. But it just, it just putting it out there, and this is what it is, and it's creeped into the church. It's creeped in with our young people. And much like that song at the end of that song, The last line says, we'll convert your children. Then we'll turn to you. Giving up your fear inside, it's freeing like you never knew. Go see San Francisco. Go turn into this. Go, you'll forget you ever were upset. We'll convert your children and make an ally out of you yet. This is their agenda. And this is not their agenda. Because this is sinner's agenda. I don't care what sin you want to put it in. It's all sin. But I'm telling you that if I had a friend who was drinking alcohol, abusing his body, and, and, and putting people's lives in danger, it is not love for me to say, you know, you need to live your own life the way you need to live it. That's not love. 
Matter of fact, I would classify that's a hate toward the person because I'm not going to be honest enough to call him on that stuff. And sin, the devil's word of trying to infiltrate the church, subtly and slowly, like a frog in a kettle, he just keeps adding, and unless, which, which Peter will address, how do we battle that? How do we battle false doctrine and false teaching? How do we battle moral compromise? Because that's what's happened. We just need to give in a little bit. Just give in a little bit. Just give in a little bit. And how far we've come in the process. The storm is here. Now, one thing you know, I enjoyed doing in Mexico is watching my wife as she would uh, snorkel in the Sea of Cortez. Now, I love snorkeling. Ever since this thing, it's hard because this floats, so I can't go deep. I mean, it's like a bobber, you know? I try to swim down, right back up again, all right? I got to figure out how to just take this off and put a fin on the end of my nub or something. But uh, here's the thing, though, about snorkeling or, or even scuba diving. I love being underwater. I really do. I, I could just sit there all day long. I would. But no matter how stormy it is on top, how rough the water is, the minute you go a little bit deeper, you don't notice it. You ever notice it? If you guys or, or, or snorkel, once you go under, you don't feel the waves. I mean, it's just, it's calm. And Peter, that's why the cult is going deeper. Peter said, guys, when you go deep within your faith, no matter what the storm is raging, you'll find peace there. You'll find hope there. You'll find encouragement there. You just got to go so have your Bibles. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're only covering two verses. Sorry. Um, but there's, again, he's writing. He's packing. This is his last thing. What am I going to say? I'm going to die soon. Think about that. If you were to have to write a letter, matter of fact, in your notes, it says that if you were to have to write a letter, what would you, what would you say to your family? What would you want them to know? That's what Peter's doing in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Simon Peter, it says. Now, it's interesting. If you, if you were to turn, you don't need to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This letter is Simon Peter, a servant. Some of your translations says bondservant there, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he chose to include both names. Simon was the name his parents gave him. Simon was the name basically of the 12, 12 tribes of Judah. One was called Simeon. Simon was short for that. That's what his parents gave him. It was Jesus that named him Peter. Peter means the rock. And if you were to do a search on the name Simon, there are nine different Simons in the Bible. So we need to have a difference. You know, this, this is Simon Peter. That's, that's who's writing this one. And what's interesting is Jesus called him Simon, and sometimes he called him Peter, and sometimes he called him Simon Peter, depending on how he was acting at the time. 
All right. When he was acting like the rock, it was Peter. When he wasn't, it was Simon, Simon Peter. Kind of like us. What would he call us sometimes? Are we acting like a believer in Christ or, or, or not so much? But Jesus called him Peter, the rock. And he wanted us to know that I'm Simon Peter. I'm not all the way there yet, but I have a strong faith because I am a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the word servant there, actually, that's bondservant. Some of your translation will say bondservant. There was a difference between a bondservant and a servant or a bond slave and a slave. A slave was bought and paid for. A slave was something that you owned. A slave was something that you could give freedom to. They usually signified that by an earring that they would wear, that they, were, they belonged to someone else. They were a slave. Um, a bondservant, though... A bondservant was someone who willingly chose to be your servant, your slave. If I came and decided to go to Kenny, Kenny, I, I want to be your bondservant. I, I see your lifestyle. I see how you live, your integrity, your character. I'm going to swear my allegiance to Kenny. That would be my choice to give my full acts of service to Kenny. And how I would signify that back then it wasn't an earring. I'd actually lop off the lobe of my ear. It'd be gone. You can't take that back. I mean, some of you have had earrings, and now you don't put them in there anymore. It's closed up. You know, some of you that gapped yourself still hasn't closed up, baby. I mean, but you can't close that off. I mean, that's a chunk out of your ear. They ain't growing back. And I use that usually in marriage counseling. Some of you have gone, gone through marriage counseling with me. I'm still looking for the groom. Hey, let's do that. All right, because that was swearing your allegiance. We'll just have, I'll have some hot, hot chopping devices, red hot, and we'll just ka-chunk right there during the wedding ceremony, all right? Will you be the first, all right? Maybe Michael will be it. If all the people, maybe Michael will do this. Uh, <laughs> but to say that you were a bondservant, that was for life. And what that meant was, to say you're a bondservant, especially if you're a bondservant to God, yeah, it was absolutely possessed by God. He was at God's disposal 24-7, unquestionably obedient to God and constantly in that service. You want to know how to handle when false teaching and false doctrine and moral decay... You swear your allegiance to Jesus Christ and be his bondservant. Because, guys, that's what he's asking of us, for us to willingly give up our lives to that. Verse 1 goes on to say, Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, through the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ, this in theology is, is a big fancy word called imputation. What imputation is, is that if finances to you, I would take my finances and I would put all my assets to your account. And I would take all your deficits and place it upon myself. I'd take it away and give you something. Imputation. That means because of 
those who through the righteousness of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, because of his righteous life, he has given that to you. He has put his righteousness to your account. So when you stand before God someday, it's not by based on your good deeds. It's what Jesus did for you, that his righteousness has been imputed to you. You have his access. You have his inheritance. All that not only is your sin taken away, but his righteousness has been placed on your account. That's why when the Bible says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, they're dirty. They're nothing compared. We can't stand before God on our own righteousness. You can only stand before God because of Christ's righteousness. John MacArthur says this about there is no doctrine more precious than that of imputation of the righteousness of Christ to the account of the believer. I, I think we many times thank God, thank you, God, for forgiving my sin. But to realize his righteous living, everything righteous about Jesus Christ is now at my on my account. Promises are at my access because of what Jesus Christ did. I mean, how awesome just to think through that. And when it says the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, this is, this is not God the Father and his Son, Savior Jesus Christ. Peter is saying Jesus Christ is God. This is one of the clearest passages in the entire New Testament that is declaring Jesus Christ as God himself. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. But this, 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 this is not, hey, this, we're not just talking about a good man who lived a good life. We're talking about God, Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who has redeemed you. He's the one who has given you righteousness to your account and all the blessings that go with it. And because of that, I mean, and this is part, nobody receives, believes on his own power. He believes only as a result of God's action. I, I believed in Jesus Christ because God was doing the drawing in my life. There was a point, in my, at no point did I say, you know, I'm just going to make a decision on my own to follow God. That's not how it works. Understand, I was in, in when I was in college, by the time I was going, man, I, I need to get some of my life in, 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 in the right direction. I need to do this, 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 kind of a goal setter. And, and one thing, I need to put God back in my life. And so I decided to go to this little church where no one knew me. I didn't know them. I sat down. I did this. I did whatever they were doing. Some of you may be doing, okay, do we stand? Do we walk? Do we, what do we do? do we, uh, so I just followed in and Everyone left me alone because I was standing when they were standing. I was sitting when they were sitting. I was reading when they were reading. I was singing. And what I didn't understand the songs, but I, I, I sang the songs, and then I laughed. I got God checked off. But that was God doing this drawing all of a sudden that was pulling me into all of a sudden this meeting with Mike in a library, which was not a coincidence. It was all planned by God from the very beginning, and that's true with every one of you who call yourself a believer. It was all planned by God. Everything that has happened in your life has been structured, has been walked through by God himself. No one comes to the Father unless he does the drawing in the first place. You may think you're, you're here because your wife told you no lunch unless you get here. I don't know. All right. But God's been doing work behind the scenes. He's always working behind the scenes, guys. Always. That's why it goes on to verse 1 where it says, 
that you have received, received. We talk about that God has given us this gift, which it truly is a gift from God. I'm going to put this up on the table here. Maybe it's my pants, and hopefully I won't pull it. All right, I'm going to take 10 Let's just end this right now. Are we still online, by the way? Good? All right. Beautiful. Dang it, I'm going to heat it up next time better. I thought for sure I'd get off. All right, we got this one now. Good, all right. It's a gift from God, and that's the fact that you have received. That's what this, this word received means, an actual gift of faith. It's been handed to you. You have been given it. And because you have chosen to take it, much like when Mike shared the gospel with me in that library, he showed me where I was with Jesus Christ, what I needed to do, receive him by faith. And so right then I received that gift. I couldn't pay for it. There's nothing I could do to add to it. It was by his actions alone. And how he describes this gift is that, that you have received a faith as precious as ours. That word precious literally means exceedingly high value. Like you would take a jewel that you found and put it in the safe because you didn't want, want to lose this. This is this, is this preciousness of the, of the faith that you have. And again, I, I, I don't know how many times that we just stop and realize how awesome that the God of the universe chose me, directed me, began to work behind the scenes so I could receive this incredible gift from him that I receive it. I can't do anything to earn it. There's nothing I can do to, 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 to pay him back for it because it's a free gift. You can't buy a gift. How precious is that? That's why I ask in your notes, is there any possession you have more precious than the faith that gives you a relationship with Jesus Christ and delivers you into his entire inheritance? That's why Peter, he's at the end here. He knows where he's going to be going. Guys, don't miss the preciousness of your faith that was bought by a price, that his righteousness was imputed upon you. You bring nothing to the game. You have nothing to offer other than saying, yes, I receive. Verse 1 even ends with that hours. Here's Peter. Peter, who was the first disciple called. Peter, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, who saw the miracles. Peter, who walked on water. Peter, who saw Jesus rise from the dead. This Peter says, our faith. It wasn't like I'm more important Christian than you are because I was one of the first ones to follow. No, it's all the same. There's no second-class citizen. We all have that precious faith that we've been secured in, and that's why verse 2 says, so grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He wants us to grow in this grace. He wants us to grow in this peace. And that's the thing about getting deeper into him and understanding who he is. Because the deeper I go, the more peace and content. I'm not worried about the storm on top. It's going to rage no matter what I do. But when I sink down in him and when I 
fully understand and understand the knowledge of that's where I've grown in grace. That's where peace is going to be in abundance to me, even though the storm is raging. Have you seen people who are, I mean, it, it's raging all around them, but they seem to be at peace with things? And you kind of go, what's going on? That's where the scripture says that we pray that the peace that surpasses all understanding shall guard your heart and mind. Why? Because everything outside should be attacking my heart, attacking my mind. But now I have this deep peace that's guarding my heart, is guarding my mind from the storm that's raging. Because why he says, because through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this knowledge that he's talking about here is not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's not about, why well, I just feel like he's this. I just listened to a person that was talking about, because they wanted to so much not be religious. Well, I'm spiritual, and I just, I'm just in tune with my spirit, and I just wake up, and I just get in tune with nature. And I just, you know, it's all this feeling, feeling, feeling. Well, guys, if you're basing your faith on feeling, it's going to end pretty dang quick with what life brings your way. It's not, it, this is about intimate knowledge. Matter of fact, that's the, the heart knowledge is what the word is, knowledge of God. How do I battle false doctrine and, 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 and moral compromise? It has to be where I know there's a deep knowledge of who God is, and it needs to be an intimate knowledge. That's the problem with, because of how false doctrine creeps in. People have an, a general understanding of God or a general understanding of the scripture. They're not getting deep within it so that when these false teaching comes along, they don't, they don't get it. They don't see why. It sounds good. I think everyone should be that way. I think we all should love it that way. Okay, really? Because, I, you know, I, well, we, I, I know we should love the sinner but hate the sin. I heard something this last month when I was on vacation. It just said this. Guys, God is not sending sin to hell. Sin doesn't go to hell. Sinners go to hell. Sinners who have names go to hell. That's reality, guys. So I have to make sure I truly understand that I'm allowing the word of God. I'm allowing the truth of God. I'm allowing the knowledge of God. This intimate level of understanding. Because if someone were to come to me and say, you know your wife did this. And that's not who she is or her character. I'd look at it. No, she didn't. That's not who she is. That's not what she thinks. That's not nothing like that. Get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because I know my wife. I know how she acts. I know how she has with people. I have an intimate knowledge of my wife. Just like you have an intimate knowledge of your wife or your spouse. So do I have that with God? That when something comes up or something is said, my, I'm triggered inside. You know, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like what the scripture is teaching. That doesn't sound like something that God it would be behind because all my triggers are going off. Why? Because the deeper I get into understanding, I will know exactly when false teaching presents itself. Going, uh-uh, raising my head, red flag. This is, this is not right. But I, it's not based on feel. I feel like this is the way. Guys, I can't base it on feeling. I have to base it on the truth. I have to dive in and the place to find that knowledge, all right, is in the word of God. If you're, guys, there, here's the danger of the church today also. I didn't mention there's such a biblical 
place that we do not know our Bibles very well. So that's how false teaching. Understand, in Peter's day, they didn't have a Bible to pass around. They didn't have the New Testament to go on. I mean, this letter would float from this church to this church. But we have the entire Bible at our fingertips that we can use. We're just not in it well enough that when false teaching does present itself, when moral corruption is seen, that we can say, red flag, wait a minute, no, 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 not, not on my watch. This, this, no, this is wrong, and this is why it's wrong. Because of what the scripture says. I can point that out because when I'm in that intimate relationship with him, I will see that. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him. What? Better. I will never fully understand God, to an nth degree. That'll happen when I get up to heaven. But the more I'm in the Word, and, well, Tim, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be in the Word. Okay, I understand that part of it. But, guys, I study for this time, but I'm in the Word just for me. I'm reading just for me. Not, not, I'm, I'm doing this for me, too, going through. I'm learning as I'm going. But I have other times where I'm just reading the Bible for me. It's not for a sermon series. It's not for anything. It's just for me. Because if I'm not growing in my faith, how can I help anyone else grow in their faith? I never can stop growing. I mean, i got tons of books in my office. Most of them I read. Uh, but it makes you look smart if you have a lot of books in your office. All right? But here's the deal. I, I tend to forget more than that, that I've read. I have to go reread that. that. I still already forgot that. But that's why the constant in the word on a daily basis when I'm reading and I'm understanding, I'm asking questions, I'm circling things, I'm doing all this. I'm doing that through the Psalms right now. Maybe someday I'll turn into a series. That'd be one long series going through the Psalms. But as I'm asking questions and seeing themes going through, wait a minute, I think I just read this 10, 10 Psalms ago and going back and forth and being able to see. And it's just for me. It's not for anybody else. That I have to do this. That's why I want to know him better. It's not based on my personal experience. It's based on what the word of God says. That's why Paul, Paul says this in Philippians 3.10. And I, and I wrote underneath this, really? <laughs> I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, if it ended right there, yeah, I want to know that. I want to know the dunamis, I mean, the power of the resurrection. I would love that. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And wait, 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 now you're going too far, Paul. I mean, I don't know if I want that part of it knowing because, guys, they're both connected. Because he promised that if I am following God, then there's going to be suffering. I'm not talking just about suffering of every day. All right, my knee hurts, this hurts, it's just, you know, I'm talking about because of my following God of what it's going to cost me. Becoming like him in his death. Now, becoming like I, that I want to die on a cross. That's not what he was saying. That he's willing to give it all away. That's the goal. I mean, that's Peter as he's looking out the window. Guys, little children, I need to write this to you because I'm going to be gone soon. How do you battle false doctrine and teaching? How do you keep moral compromise out of your life? 
but starts becoming a bondservant where you've sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ. His bidding, his will, his way. And if you understand that his righteousness has been imputed on me, it's not my righteousness, it's not how good I am, it's how great he was. And when God looks at me, he just sees the righteousness of God. When God looks at me, he gives me the promises all the promise. We'll talk about that next week. All the promises are there at my disposal. Why? Because that's been imputed upon me too. If I receive that, that precious gift that all I have to do is accept it, receive it because I bring nothing to the game. And when I choose to grow in my knowledge of him in my heart, intimately with him, every day, just little bits by little bits. Guys, I think we... we, we we take off too big a chunks. We think, well, I've got to do this for an hour and this. Guys, it's little bits by little bits. I just read a psalm a day. Now, some of them are short. Now, I'll probably take Psalm 119 and divide that in a few days because it's a long psalm. But I just take a psalm a day. So if it's four verses, I'm camping out there. If it's 24 verses, I'm camping out there. But it's choosing to say, how do I... What am I supposed to learn about God here? Why is David writing this? A man after God's own heart. Oh, he's going to share that. He's going to share why it's God's heart. If I read these words and apply them to my life, and when I do that, have that heart knowledge, then I will be able to see, because I'll know when false teaching comes. I know when moral decay begins to come to my life, where compromise will be trying to push me towards a certain way. I'll know that because of that intimate knowledge with him, and I'll be able to fight that false doctrine, that false teaching, and the compromise that one, the devil wants me to be made. But I have to sink deeper. I have to be willing to go a little bit deeper every day. And I'll learn something about myself in the process, but I'll learn more about who he is and how I can trust him, how I can get through this. At whatever stage I find myself in, he is faithful. He is just. He forgives me. He's called me... He's called me as the shepherd of this church, which means I'm supposed to teach you and I'm supposed to protect. And I will call out false doctrine. I will call out false teaching. I will call out moral compromise because that's what I'm supposed to do to protect his church. I mean, God, nothing's going to harm the church of God. It's just when we choose to let ourselves go in a direction. And this is all about choice. That on my watch, guys, false teaching and false doctrine will be addressed quickly when I see it coming. Moral compromise will be talked about, and it's going to tick a bunch of people off, and I can't help that. But what I can do is point you to a deeper relationship with the Savior. Let's get into the Word, guys. you got to go deep into the Word. You have to do that. It's there. It's at our disposal. You don't even have to read it. You can push a button. It'll play it for you. You'll listen to it. All right? It's, it's so easy, but maybe that's the problem. It's too easy, and it's, too, it's just there so we don't have to fight, and we just put it off for something else. How do you battle, battle false doctrine? How do you battle moral compromise? Come back next Sunday, and we'll discuss that more. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be here, the freedom that we have. We took breath today, so that means you're not done with us. So help us take advantage of what you want us to do. 
today. Father, may we grow deeply in our faith. May we understand how precious it is. God, it's your righteousness that you see me through. But you give to me the account that you had, the promises, the blessings that are there. May I lean into those things. When false doctrine, when false teaching, when moral compromise comes knocking on my door. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.